Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we trust in this time that you would continue to have your way. You are in control. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that your word will not return void. That your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. That as we read and reflect, God, that this is your very breath to us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your word to us on this day. I pray, Lord, as we reflect on liberation. God, many of us at times or even in this very moment feel as though we are captive to something. I pray, Lord, that we would find liberation and freedom in you today. Have your way. We pray this together in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. Happy 4th of July. It's good to be together in a full, packed-out house today as we are looking at this passage, uh, if you are new here, we are in the middle of a sermon, year-long sermon series called The Full Story, and we've been making our way from Genesis all the way through Revelation of the Bible and understanding the chronological story of God's people and how we fit in to that story. And in the story today, the text that we read was from the book of Jeremiah, it's, 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 you heard from Jeremiah last week from, from Elder Brian, and today we're going to be continuing. It's a long book. If you've been reading it, there's like 50-something chapters, and it's a little of a depressing book at times, and today we get to focus on a really wonderful, hopeful passage in Jeremiah. This book is written to Israel, and at this time... This particular passage is through Jeremiah, God's word to the Babylonian exiles, the people that are being taken away by King Nebuchadnezzar to be in exile, in captivity in Babylon. And on this day, seems to me that we're going to learn a liberating word for these people in exile and also for us today. A liberating word for exiles. That's the title of this message. Have you ever felt like you needed a liberating word? Felt like perhaps you were trapped in something? Maybe, uh, maybe because it's been recently for me, maybe it was just driving in a car with five children and you needed a liberating word or a potty break or, or just uh, some, some really good Benadryl for your children. Or, or, or maybe it, it, it relates to your work or your family or your home or, 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 or some struggles that you may have. Something in your life that seems to fester. And today it seems to me that God is reminding us of that we have a liberating word for us today that we can learn from as we reflect on this liberating word for Israel, for the people of Judah, as they are in Babylon. We know in this passage that they have been dragged out. Their king was taken with them. He's blinded. 
He has to watch his own sons be killed in front of him. It is a gruesome, horrible exile. And in this moment, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, has a word for God's people. You may have actually recognized some of these verses, for I know the plans I have for you. You may have heard that around graduation time. It's interesting as we look at the context of those words today. And as we look at this, as I've been thinking and praying about this passage, it seems to me that there are really four words for the people and for us as we think about what it means to be in exile, to long to be home, to long for this freedom. And because, you know, today's Independence Day, I figured these would be PC, politically correct. Not really, but it's, you know, P and C are the, the letters of the words that we're going to be using today. See what I did there? It's a little things, guys. And the first thing that I think as, we've re- as we read in Jeremiah chapter 29 and as we think about these people that are going into Babylon, they're going into a foreign land, they're wondering about their future, they're wondering about their families, they're wondering about what will happen, they're probably afraid for their own life. They remember the promises of Father Abraham, and they remember the stories of the previous exile in Egypt with Moses. They remember the stories of Pharaoh killing their firstborn children. And all of these they're thinking of as they find themselves on the road to exile, a remnant of people, some left behind, many taken to exile. Men like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego that we'll learn about in the coming weeks. And the first thing that I think for these people in this captivity, in this exile, the first word for them is this. God is calling them on their way to establish a presence in their country. He's calling them to establish a presence in their country. Not just to put up their walls and and have a little bubble that they live in and, and try to make it through, but he's calling them to really have a presence through him in the very place that they're going in this foreign and hostile land. Look at verse four here. We're gonna read verses four through six. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. No, notice it does not say rent houses. Build houses. And live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. It's so interesting. If you've been following through the story, we constantly find ourselves back in the Garden of Eden. We constantly find ourselves reminded of even when Adam and Eve were called to go and be fruitful and multiply. Do you remember this? And now God's people are being called in exile 
Not to just say, woe is me, but to get involved in this new country that they are called to be in. And they are to plant gardens. They are to settle in. As I was thinking about this, I was imagining, just because you've been going through the story, remembering the stories of Moses. And maybe even if you were a young family thinking, do I really want to have children? Do I really even want to risk raising my kids in exile? And God here is telling them, no. I'm calling you. I'm telling you that in this time in exile, you need to establish a presence. You need to establish a presence because you are going to represent me in a way. And we learn more about what that looks like here. One of the commentators that I really appreciated as I've been looking at this passage is a guy named Philip Riken. He says this, God's people were resident aliens. Aliens, not like aliens from another planet, like aliens, like the, the definition of that. Aliens because they were not living in their hometown anymore. They were no longer in Israel. But they were also residents because they lived where God wanted them to live. Since God had planned an extended stay for them, there was no sense renting. They might as well build. They were called to establish, to lay down roots in exile. Second, not just establish a presence in the country, but also and this is incredibly profound and probably surprising, if not sh shocking, to the people. In these next verses, God calls them, in this foreign place, the ones that drug them away, to seek the peace of the city. To seek the peace of the city. This word peace is a word that we've seen throughout the Old Testament. We've heard about this. You've heard me preach about it called shalom. At Christmas time, we talk about this as well. This peace, shalom, is more than just like sitting at the beach and enjoying like a nice waves and the sand and your toes in the sand. It's more than just like that moment when your kids go to sleep and they actually are asleep and you're just sitting there and enjoying silence. Peace in the Bible, shalom, is about a bringing things, restoring things back to the way they once were. It's about as God's people seeking to, to make all things right, to be a part of this work that God is doing. It relates to establishing a presence. And we see this here in your Bibles in the ESV. They substitute the word welfare for the word shalom. Look at what it says here. Verse 7, but seek the welfare, the shalom of the city, the peace of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Did you know this is from what the commentators were saying, the only time in the Old Testament that God's people are explicitly called to pray for their enemies? You can fact check that. Let me know if that's right. In the New Testament, we know this is very true. 
But this is so shocking. Not just seek the peace, but pray for the city. Pray for the city on its behalf, for its peace, its welfare. And as you do that, look at what's going to happen. You, Judah, will find welfare. And so they're not just laying down roots, they're also being involved in the community. We see this, in, if, you, if you know the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego contributing even in, and, and, and being a part of, of the government. And we see this happening here. They're to seek the peace of the city. And this would probably, as they're reading this, remind them of other times in Scripture when they're called to pray for the city. But in the past, they were called to pray for their city, for Jerusalem. Now God is saying, where you go, I'm calling you as exiles. My word to you in this time is to pray in this way. Perhaps they were reminded of this Psalm 122.6 that says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. May peace, shalom, be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. There's this call to God's people in exile, not just to establish and to build families and homes, but to be actively involved in seeking peace. And this relates to justice. This relates to battling the inequalities and the injustices of the city. This is why churches are so involved in their communities. This is why we do things like VBS in the park, food pantries, where the church is often on the cutting edge of this kind of work because we are called to be a people that seek the peace in the city. But it's not just establish a presence in the country or seek the peace of the city. There's also a caution here. And we see this in the next verse, and I would tell you, this is what I would say is a call, a charge to ignore the pretenders of your faith. Or maybe if you like, you could say ignore the posers of your faith. This is a liberating word for them, and it's a caution for them. If you've been following along in Jeremiah, you know that there were some other prophets that were coming along that were saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. As a matter of fact, God's not going to do this. The word for you is, is really prosperity. God's going God's to take care of you. And Jeremiah here in this verse is saying, no, those are actually not prophets of God. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. Look at verse 8 here. It says this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. God is saying, listen to this and be careful. This is a challenging word. 
And the question you may ask then is, how? How do I know who to listen to? Right? I'm reminded of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. He talks about this very thing that's happening in the church. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. If you hear folks, people that are sharing a word that is, goes against the word of God, you would know this would be a false prophet. And here, there's a caution here. There's a word to God's people in Judah to not just establish not just seek the peace, but to have this caution about what voices are informing them. This is incredibly challenging to us in the day, in the digital age, when we have access to pretty much everyone, to every speaker, preacher, every news outlet. And it may be a challenge here to even think about what are the words that I listen to, who are the trusted voices, and to look at the fruit. Because what you would see in this passage is that these prophets, they were pretenders. You could see from their fruit, from who they were, that they were not loyal, faithful followers of God. And oftentimes we must look and examine to know who to listen to. And as we think about these three challenges, it seems to me that we land finally on the fourth and maybe the most important piece to the people. It's the promise. It's to not just, not just establish yourselves and seek the peace and ignore the pretenders, but hear this people, remember the promise of your captivity. Remember the promise of your captivity. Now hear this. Oftentimes when we go to Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, we miss this. We say this is such a great promise for everyone that God will do great things for you. This promise is to a people that are going to Babylon. It's a promise to say, I do have plans for you, but guess what? They're 70 years from now. And right now, my promise to you is that I will be with you right now in this struggle, in this pain. And remember this promise of what is to come. It's a liberating word for the exiles. There is a liberation that they know in knowing who God is and knowing who their God is and what he tells them. Look at what he says. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon... He says, I will visit you, and I, notice who's doing the work here, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Notice also in this word the you is plural. It's to God's people. It's not to the individual people. It's to the entire community. And then he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, that's the same word, shalom. 
and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you. In this passage, this promise is all about the providence and sovereignty of God in the story. God is saying, remember this promise. I am in control. Hold on to this promise. And this is something that God's people have that is hard to wrap, for the world to wrap their mind around. My family and I have been watching this show called America's Got Talent. You guys watch it? In the show, as we were watching this week, there was a contestant who went on uh, by the name of Nightbird. It was this young lady, and she comes up to the stage, and she, she has short hair, and she's really thin, and she comes up, and she, she says, what are you going to do? And she says, I'm going to sing a song, and the song is called, It's Okay. And they're wondering, like, well, what, what's this song about? And they ask her her story, and she says, well, they say, are you with anybody? She says, actually, I'm, I'm all by myself. And if you, I would encourage you to go watch this, this, this uh, audition. And in and, and this moment, she says, actually, um, I'm all my, they say, do you work? She says, actually, I don't work because actually I've been, I've been battling cancer. And in this audition, she says that she's been battling cancer. And Howie Mandel says, well, I'm sorry. And she says, it's okay. And you start to get on the edge of your seat and you say, no, no it's not. It's not okay. And you see everyone get on the edge of their seat. And t spoiler, this is like a, what we would call a golden buzzer moment. And she starts to sing. And she starts to tell her story. And she says over and over in the chorus, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And after she sings, there's this kind of, normally there's a whole bunch of cheering and it's just dead in the room. And there's this interaction that happens, and they ask her, well, what's going on? She says, actually, doctors tell me that I have a 2% chance of surviving this. And in this moment, it's like, there's something so compelling and something so foreign about this moment. How could this be okay? How could you get up here and sing this beautiful song and, and have all this positivity when, when it seems like everything is telling you your days are very numbered? How is there this joy in her smile? Well, we come to find out, and on the show you won't find this out because it's a, you know, secular television show. This woman, is her name, she goes by the name of Nightbird because she believes that she's called to sing in the night. Her name is Jane Markuski, Mar something like that. And she's a believer. And I read an article about her story, and she said this. She says, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold. So there was something God was growing in the field 
that is me. And if God has pulled up all of this hardship too soon, it would also have pulled up all these miracles he did in my spirit. And you can see in her story this determined faith. This even if faith. Because she remembers the promise. Because she remembers the promise. And as we ask ourselves this question, as you read this passage, you may be asking, well, Pastor Logan, how does this apply to me? I am not an exile. What a weird time to preach on being an exile on Independence Day. I'm the, this is one of the freest times I've ever experienced. Well, as we read the story, as we read and we follow along with the story, we know that God's people, he is faithful. He brings them back and will follow with Ezra and Nehemiah, but they find themselves in exile, which I would call spiritual exile because of sin. And they are far from God because of our own sin and our own, and all of these issues and struggles that we have. Yet as we follow along in the story, we know that one would come who would willingly hear this, willingly become an exile, who would leave heaven and come to earth, and it says, and remember we talked about a liberating word for you in exile? It says that he would leave the word itself, became flesh, and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, and then willingly died on the cross. And on that moment on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, it says that the Father turned his face. That he willingly went to exile, hear this, so that you and I could sing all of the songs that we just sang. So you and I can say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. So that we could say, this is not my identity, is struggling with sin, is struggling with these insecurities. I am a child of God. He has chosen me. But hear this. Hear this. In Jeremiah 29, there's two groups of people. They're the people chosen that God says, I know the plans for you. And there's also the people that did not listen. And if you continue to read, there's also promises for those that did not listen. And in essence, Jeremiah promises that God would bring sword and pestilence and famine. And that's a part of the story too. Oftentimes we may sing these songs, but have we listened? Have we accepted these truths to be ours? And as we ask this question on this Independence Day and ask myself, Logan, why are you preaching about being an exile on Independence Day? Because I want you to hear this. If you believe in Jesus, you are an exile. The word of God tells us that when Jesus came, he said, seek first his kingdom. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, as Peter is talking to him, look at the language here. It says, but you, talking to the church, are a chosen race. 
a royal priesthood. Priesthood, you got work to do. A holy nation, a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, out of exile, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people living in sin, living in darkness, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received, accepted Mercy, but now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, friend, family, as you think about this on this day, hear this. As you ask yourself how this can be applied to your life, Jesus can be your liberating word. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Believe that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and died a perfect, sinless life. Shed his righteous blood for my sins so that I could go from being an exile from the Father to an exile of this world and a part of his kingdom. So the question really is, is what kind of exile are you, right? This is so profound to me as I've been thinking about this. This is so, it's such a game changer to us. This is why Nightbird, this, this girl, could say this. She says, when it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. He does sometimes. Instead, he adds to it. What does she mean? He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness, he comes near. This is the story, the full story. This is why we say, if the Son sets you free, Jesus said this, you will be free indeed, amen? Amen. And so today, perhaps, you've not put your faith in Jesus. Perhaps you have found yourself in exile from the Father, Maybe you are one of the most free, liberated Americans there is, but you are one of the most enslaved humans there is because the only freedom from that is belief in Jesus. And I don't want to miss the chance as we think about liberty today to talk about that this is a free gift given to all who believe. And all we must do is confess. I've been doing um, Celebrate Recovery classes. And in Celebrate Recovery, we talk about the first step as you think about your struggles and your pain, ultimately rooted in sin, is acknowledging your hopelessness and then believing that Jesus is the power to change everything. It starts and ends with him. So I would encourage you to believe in Jesus. But also, hear this, in Christ, in Christ, for those that believe in Jesus, you are a liberated exile. Live like it. Maybe write that down and think about what I meant there. That's another whole sermon. But I think Peter says this well. He says, beloved... I urge you, 
as sojourners, travelers, and exiles, to abstain from the passions of this flesh, which wage war against your soul, keep your conduct among the natives honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject to the Lord's sake for, uh, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme. Remember this passage during the COVID days? This is a really fun one. Or to governors sent as sent by him, God's sovereign, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live, look at this, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Do you know what our banner is? It's not a flag, it's a cross. And that is what our ultimate banner is. It's the cross of Jesus. That is our identity. We can love our country. We can celebrate that. You, you bet I'm going to be blowing some stuff up tonight, and we're going to be having a barbecue, and it's going to be so great, and we're going to sing the songs and, and do the things that you do today. But our ultimate allegiance is to the cross of Jesus Christ. So honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, wisdom, and honor the emperor. This is what it's called, this is how we're called to live. In Christ you're a liberated exile, live like it. I would say this, this means that in the same way, it seems to me that Peter is taking a very similar challenge that we hear from Jeremiah. He would tell you, establish a presence. Seek the peace, ignore the pretenders, and remember the promise of our Savior as earth as it is in heaven, amen? And as you think about this for your family, we can apply these same things to us because of Jesus. As we close today, as we think about these truths, praying about how do we, how do we walk out these truths. Wanted to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to go there. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking about the kingdom. This is what all Christians are a part of. All who put their faith in Jesus are a part of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And in Matthew chapter 6, he tells us in essence, how to seek the peace. Look at verse 31. He said to them, I'm in, I'm in Mark. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear for the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. But, Christian, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Seek first the kingdom of God. Church, in a few moments, as I've been reflecting on this, I wanted to stand together, and I want us to do two things. I was impacted by the way that Jeremiah calls the people to pray for their city, to pray for their country, and I was also deeply impacted by thinking about what our, where our allegiance is. And so I wanted to do something in worship today. I wanted to sing together, God Bless America. Jack Fry, he would probably lead us in this every single Sunday he asked me to sing this song. And I am always cautioned to do, cautious to do this because I don't want to be a church where the cross is not the most important thing. But I do think that singing this song reminds us that we are called to pray for our country and to ask for God's blessing. So what I wanted to do is I wanted us to sing and fill this room of God's people singing as we pray for our country and then straight from that going in to singing about how Jesus is the king of my heart. Because you see, in the kingdom of God, we are embassies. We are temples of the very spirit of God. And as we go out, we are called to do that work on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? So we're going to stand together, and I need you to sing with me because I don't want to hear myself sing. Jack, would you lead us out? I'm ready whenever you are, Jack. God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her, and guide her through the night with the light from above, from the mountain. Church, as you receive this benediction, I would like to, we're gonna, I'm going to pronounce this benediction, and then you're going to close in singing this truth about how Jesus is the king of your heart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance towards you and give you peace. Shalom. His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen.